welcome to the Sterling Foursquare Church Podcast. Our mission is to offer hope for the broken, lives that are thriving, the equipping of believers, and the launching of leaders. More info can be found at sterlingfoursquare.com. Thank you for joining us today. We're going to be continuing this morning our sermon series called By the Book. We started it last week, and we're looking at how to build our life on the foundation of God's Word to begin to live by the book in just kind of our everyday life. We're going to be continuing that this morning. And uh, when Beth and I first got married, uh, she had some trouble figuring me out. And um, some of you are like, yeah, we are still trying to do that as well. Um, And I say that almost as if she has figured me out, which would mean that we could write a book and probably help a lot of people. There's still some process things happening here, but in one particular area is where this applies. And it has to do with we got married and you're starting to have nightly dinners and like trying to figure out like what I eat, what I like, and like how that works. And I was uh, a little bit of a puzzle to her because I, I would be precise, maybe is a good way to put it. She had originally landed on picky, uh, but picky would denote that I had kind of like more of a highbrow approach to what I would want to eat, and the fact that I love Kraft macaroni and cheese and hot dog night, like that threw her into like a little bit of a quandary, and she ultimately landed on that I'm not picky, but that I'm particular, Right? There's just things that I like the way that I like, and I want them really that way. And oftentimes, there's really no rhyme or even reason for it. In fact, there's, uh, like, I have a particular type of chocolate donut, like the little round ones, the hostess ones. I call them, I, I, I call them little chocos. They have a nickname. Those are the ones that I want. Like, I won't buy the other kind, uh, that type of particular. Not picky, because it's like, hey, you're buying donuts at the gas station, you're like, you're really not picky. But particular certainly applies to me. And then when I start thinking about uh, just kind of that idea, uh, we have a tendency to be that way, just kind of in our scope of life. My kids would be uh, prone to just want to eat whatever they want, whenever they want, more out of a maturity. They don't necessarily know that they need a balanced diet. And so it's not uncommon for them to have one part of dinner and they're just like trying to go big on that. And it's like, no, you need all of these little parts. And it's like, oh no, I'm full. And there's been plenty of times where they've been too full on only one particular good thing that dad ended up cleaning up later on in the evening. Everybody tracking with me there? Pops, you guys know, and you can feel uh, some sympathy for me in that regard. But we, we have a tendency to make kind of poor decisions in that frame of life just because we're immature. We're still growing and we're kind of learning. But then as adults, we get maybe particular, right? We tend towards having a diet that's just, this is comfortable, this is uh, in my means, this is what I know, this is what I prefer, and we just kind of stay in that place. And in fact, some of us, it would be hard to coax us into the trying something new. Uh, I fall into that category. It's hard for me to do that, especially when I'm hungry, because if I try something new that I don't like, then I'm still hungry, right? Some of you would sympathize with that. And I share that with you just kind of in regards to our series because I have found that in my own life and in stewarding people in their walk with Jesus through years of ministry, that we have a tendency to approach our interaction with God's Word in this way. 
That sometimes when we're like young in our faith or we're kind of immature and we're just kind of growing, we can, we can focus on just like one area of Scripture and it's like we can't find our way out of there. It's just like that's like the book or that's the chapter or that's the verse that we're like trying to build the whole of our life on. And it's a great start, but it never goes anywhere and our maturity ends up being capped because we're stuck in that place. And then sometimes even as we grow, we get to a place where we, we know God's word enough to know where to go for what we want. It's kind of like going to the, the buffet and we're just like, we're picking out what we want. So I know where to get the ribs and I know where to get the shrimp and I know how to skip the cauliflower because I've, I'm, I, I know it enough to be able to do that. We get to a place where we approach God's word to, to grab what we're comfortable with or to what we know or to what we prefer very similar to Ben being particular. And we can get particular in our approach to the things of God's Word. And when it comes to like trying to coach my kids in their dietary choices and then at the same time to try to grow up a little at times when that's needed for me, we move to this place of understanding that there are times where there is a gap between what I really want and what I really need. There's a gap oftentimes between what I really want and what I really need. And then it's in a place where you're super desperate that maybe you close that gap on purpose. So I'm always, uh, I'm always alarmed a little bit when my kids come into the kitchen and they lead with, hey, dad, do we have any salad? Uh, and here's the reason why. It means that they haven't had a salad in a really long time, right? Because that's not top choice. That's not first choice. Cheez-Its makes the top. So when they're moving in that direction, their body is so hungry for that, it's, it's to the degree that they'll actually even ask dad for it. And oftentimes, it's when we become spiritually emaciated that we start deciding we're going to look into maybe some other parts of God's word. And I would just suggest to you that we need all of God's word applied to every area of our life. That if you're going to embrace the fullness of God's plans and purposes for your life, if you're going to experience all of the faithful promises that are in Scripture, that are for you, if you're going to step into those things, that there's going to be kind of a congruency between the whole of God's Word being at work in all areas of your life, and that you need the whole Word to experience a whole life. And we're going to look at that this morning. If you've got your Bible, I encourage you to go ahead and get that out. This is a great series to just like start reading your Bible, by the way. I mean, it's literally the, by the book is the series title. It's, it's right in there. If you got your smartphone or your tablet, go ahead and get your Bible app open on that. Lord, we ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear your living word today, God. Give us soft hearts to receive it uh, and to hold it. And Lord, give us courageous hearts to act on it. And Lord, give us um, even a hunger for your word. Renew that. Lord, not just for the places that we can go to get the verses that we want or the pat on the back that we feel that we need, but Lord, give us a curiosity and a desire to search the whole of your word so that we would understand the whole of your person and how you can transform the whole of our life as a result of that. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to look at a couple different areas of scripture this morning just to come uh, to a place where we're unpacking uh, four points on our need for the whole of God's Word and kind of its eternal endurance for our lives. But before we get there, I want to talk to you about uh, uh, an academic process. 
Um, and maybe you've heard of this before, and it's something that gets applied to Scripture in general in different types of circles, but there's a process of academic scrutiny that is called redaction. Redaction. And what redaction is, redaction is a process of editing a text where a group of scholars or academics or researchers come together and through kind of purposed inquiry, uh, they begin to look at that text and then determine whether or not it's, it's true or faithful or able to be counted on. And they begin to uh, uh, omit or to reword, they begin to redact or discard portions of the text until they get down to the place where they're like, well, this is what we think it's really supposed to be. And there's a variety of reasons for that type of approach, and they, they do this with everything from, from uh, ancient history documents to early U.S. history documents to letters to uh, even like letters from the Civil War. They'll go and they'll look at those, and they're trying to see if maybe they're authentic or not and kind of determine whether or not there's truth or folk- folklore in them. All, all of those things are a part of this process, but this process has and is often applied to Scripture, uh, playing into even academics and kind of scholarly inquiry today. And at different points, really in the last 20 and 30 years, this idea of redaction has focused on different points of God's Word and have arrived on conclusions where they would suggest that pieces need to be discarded wholesale altogether. Uh, the Old Testament gets a lot of scrutiny, especially alongside of the, the um, physical sciences. And you have people who would look at the creation narrative of Genesis chapter 1 and 2. They would look at the flood narrative in, in Genesis. They would look at the, the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and, and all kinds of things. And through archaeology and through academia and different approaches, they'll arrive on what they think is true or not and what should be discarded or maybe just kind of diminished as authoritative and just kind of something that's fun or silly to maybe think about. If you studied sociology, if you studied humanities or some things like that, that you would know that there are ancient cultures that have a variety of different creation narratives, ideas about how what is became what is, that they've got all kinds of origin stories for what is out there. And there's times where redactionists would say, well, this group thinks this, and this group thinks this, and these ideas predate when this was supposedly written, and they will arrive on conclusions that would say that things were like borrowed or amalgamated or kind of blended together. So they do the same thing with the idea of Noah's flood. There are uh, cultures of antiquity that all have uh, origin stories of the great deluge, is what it's called. There are are different cultures that have ideas and have stories in their kind of myth components that would say that the world was flooded. And then they have their variety of reasons and causes and kind of how that happened. And redactionists would look at that and they would say, well, look, maybe this idea was borrowed or maybe this was something that somebody else had. And they, and they try to parse it down. Uh, it's more comfortable and it's easy for me to reconcile us in the sense of, hey, if all these ancient cultures all have a flood narrative, then it probably happened. I can trust God's word. If they all have this creation narrative that doesn't say, oops, there it is, but literally that there was some kind of design behind it, then I can probably stand on the idea that there's design. But the way that redaction works is oftentimes when you go to the text, you bring your presuppositions and you're trying to prove your hypothetical idea. And so they're looking for reasons to make this 
dismissed or pushed apart. If you move into the New Testament, there's been different uh, seasons of redactionist approach to the New Testament. One that uh, has been in my lifetime was kind of the red letter movement. And what that was, was an idea that the only thing in the New Testament that you can really count on as being God's word is the red letters that Jesus spoke, right? And then everything else is just kind of subject to be dismissed. There was a movement in looking at Paul's letters to the church to decide whether or not there was authority um, in, in those where uh, there are letters that they know that Paul wrote and others that he dictated to a scribe. And there was a redaction movement that said, well, the ones that were written by a scribe, those can't count at all because Paul didn't actually write it with his own pencil. They arrive on these ideas. Okay, so why do I share that with you? One is so that you know that those things are out there, because if you bump into learned circles, you may have a conversation around these kinds of ideas, and it's better for you to know that they exist than to be like, oh my goodness, what, hap you know, what happened? Because sometimes our faith gets knocked around a little bit. But number two, our tendency, human tendency, is to look at the things of God and the parts that make us uncomfortable or don't fit our present viewpoint or understanding, our tendency is to try to omit them, to look to redact them, to, to move them out from a place of having authority and having impact in my life to me being able to marginalize those and put those aside. There's whole movements that still today correlate to all of those ideas that I gave you. I've had conversations with well-meaning Christ followers who love Jesus with all of their heart that would dismiss the whole of the Old Testament and say none of that matters anymore because we've got Jesus and that's all that we need. In charismatic circles, we would supplant that with the idea, well, I've got the Holy Spirit and so I don't actually even need the Word of God. These kind of ideas are out there in people's common praxis in the way that they approach their growth in spirituality. And most often, the reason these exist are twofold. One is either immaturity, I just want my one thing and I'm just going to stay there, or there's an uncomfortableness and I've settled into my comfortable relationship with God and pursuit of the things of God, and I need to look to get rid of that discomfort. And again, what I would suggest to you is that the whole word is required for a whole life. And there's a process of growth and continual maturity that you and I need to enter into to allow that to happen. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, this is our anchor verse. We started with this last week, and I just want to draw your attention uh, to a part of it that we didn't focus on or highlight last week. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, last week we gave the context of where this is in the Old Testament Scripture. We correlated it to the New Testament place where this is quoted by Jesus in the book of Matthew at his temptation. But it says this, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Last week we talked about the foundation of God's word for building our life on that, and this was a beginning anchor verse for that, and it's going to be a place that we continue to revisit. But what I want to draw your attention to is the word every. Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. All of God's word is needed. Like, 
All of it is needed. You may not understand all of it. You may not have a working knowledge of all of it. You may not have read even very much of it. But all of God's word is needed. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. And for our context for this, for this series, we're talking about the written word of God. We're talking about the canonized scripture. But, but even more than that, you need to hear the Holy Spirit speak to you. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is something that Jesus talks about in Matthew chap- or John chapter 14, 15, and 16. You need the prophetic word of God spoken among the church family. Paul talks a lot about that. Like they're, they're, it, It's more than just the word of God, but let's make it really, really simple. It's got to start here. It's got to be founded on God's actual written word. And all of it is needed. And many of us, kind of the parts that we can't access, the parts that are hard to study, the parts that we don't understand, the parts that we don't like, the parts that make us uncomfortable, we're prone to, if we are in God's word, and actually getting to those places instead of leaning into the hard part of wrestling out that tension with the Holy Spirit, we're more prone to redact it. We're, we're going to just kind of set that aside and kind of keep on keeping on doing life the way that it was, but we often don't recognize how important maybe that piece was. Just because you don't recognize whether the piece is important or not doesn't mean that it's not important. And if you need a great illustration for that, fellas, how many times have you been putting together something, particularly from Ikea, that you thought, I don't know what this is, and it goes in the trash, only to find yourself rummaging through the trash later because it was literally the one thing that you needed to complete the product. Like, you didn't know that. It didn't look useful or helpful. It was just part of the packaging. No, that was literally the linchpin for the whole project. Like, that happens all the time in life, where we discard something because we don't recognize its importance, only to find later it was the one thing that we needed. All of God's word is needed. And as you grow and as you discern and as you mature as a man of God, as a woman of God, you'll see more of that. You'll recognize more of that. And in fact, the Holy Spirit does actually that work in us. And that John 14, 15, 16, when Jesus is talking about the role of the Holy Spirit, one of the things that the Holy Spirit was, uh, was going to do and does currently is that he teaches us and reminds us of everything Jesus said and taught. And if you're a careful reader of Jesus's teaching, you would find that most of what he taught started with an Old Testament scripture, and then he gave them a better understanding of it because they weren't applying it correctly. But all of God's word is needed. First Timothy chapter 3 verses 15 to 17, that's where we're going to go next. We actually looked at a part of one of those letters last week as well, because the letters of First and Second Timothy are letters from the Apostle Paul to Timothy, who was a young pastor that he had installed in a church, and he's coaching him and teaching him and encouraging him and championing him and addressing all the ways that the community of believers is supposed to kind of function together. And in doing so, he begins to give Timothy a specific encouragement uh, of Uh, about his role and kind of how the Lord would use him in that place. But in particular, he anchors it on the foundation of God's word for Timothy's life. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, it says that you, speaking to Timothy, you have known the holy scriptures. 
You have known the Holy Scriptures. What he would be referring to at that point would be what we would call the Old Testament. That Timothy was somebody who was learned in the Word of God as it had been recorded to that point. You have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And I do want to stop there for just a moment, because there is a frame of thought. There is a redactionary process that is, is a part of some church communities that would suggest to you that the Old Testament needs to be thrown out, and that the New Testament is the only thing that you need. They would also oftentimes use this type of language, speaking of God, that the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath or anger or judgment or whammy, and that the God of the New Testament is God of love. Can I tell you, there's not a God of the New Testament and God of the Old Testament. That's ridiculous. There is one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one God. Hey, that sounds great. Where did you get that? It's in the book. It's It's Scripture. This is why we need to know these kinds of things. And here, while Paul is talking to Timothy, Paul literally says, Timothy, your understanding of the Old Testament is what helps you have a full formed understanding of who Jesus is and salvation. Don't throw it out, stand on it. Build on it. And then Paul says this, he says, all scripture, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Here's a good way to paraphrase that. The whole of God's Word will wholly prepare you for all of God's plans and purposes for your life to step into experience all the faithful promises of God and to be aligned with all of the things that he has designed for you to be a part of partnering with him. That these things kind of go together. And what you find in this, all of God's word is needed. All of God's word is beneficial. All of it. And this can be a hard thing for us to kind of recognize or for us to even kind of reconcile in our mind. Because there's places, if you go to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Okay, a couple of those Gospels start out with genealogies. This guy had a son named this, and that son had a son named this. And like you're backtracking or you're forward walking through grandfather, grandfather, like great, 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 great. Like how do I even know these people were even great at all? It's just a list of a bunch of papas here. Like how is that relevant to my life. I'm not sure how you are going to immediately apply that in this minute, but I know that all of God's Word is needed, and all of it is beneficial. And you may look at the genealogy, or you may look at a listing like that of the different numerations in the Old Testament of how many people were part of which tribe of Israel, and you might be like, I don't care about this, but you know what? There's a scholar and a theologian out there who has done a deep dive on that, and it does matter. And what it does is this, it reveals, the Word of God reveals the person of God in His relation to man and reveals our relationship to our Heavenly Father. And then it's able to be practically applied in our day-to-day life. All of it. Now, some of it's easier because it's like, hey, don't do this, that'll hurt you. 
And you're like, I can understand that. Hey, if you do this, things are going to go well. Okay, I get that. Right? In our simplistic approach to spirituality, a lot of those things are very, very helpful. But just because we don't yet understand all of the rest doesn't mean that we shouldn't read it, know it, study it, take it in. Any of God's word that you can get into you, the Holy Spirit can get out of you when you need it. The Holy Spirit is designed to teach you and remind you of everything that Jesus said and taught. And the best way for you to know that is to be in His Word. And so whatever of the Word of God you can get in, the Holy Spirit can get out of you when it's needed. And all of God's Word is beneficial. And we run into problems when we apply it in part. When we cherry pick a verse that we really like and we kind of make that the thing that we're going to do. I've shared this story um, before in years past, but when I was in Bible college, there was a couple years where I overlapped with uh, my younger brother. I've got three little brothers, but the one closest to me, we overlapped. We were in Bible college together for a couple of years, and there was one year in particular where he arrived at this conclusion. The Bible says to not lie, and it's important to be honest, so I'm just going to tell everybody what I think now. And that was his arrived at conclusion. And it only took him a handful of days to lose a lot of friends and to become unpopular on campus. Because what he got right was this idea of being honest and being forthright. But there's a verse in scripture that says that we are to speak the truth in love, and all he had was the truth. And so he's hammer hitting people with the truth. Yeah, you look terrible in that shirt. Yeah, that haircut, that's terrible. Uh, you, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. You're not as funny as you think that you are. All of those things, and you're like, what are you doing? I'm just being honest. Don't be honest, be kind, right? Speak the truth in love. Those things need to go together. And when you and I, when we only apply part of God's word to our life, there's times where we actually undermine our ability to do the things that God has designed us to do and to step into the fullness of his promises because we're only, we're only doing it in part. It's like putting one shoe on and going to outside to run a marathon instead of having this place where we've wrestled out the things that are hard in Scripture. And listen to me, if you start studying your Bible, you'll end up in the short term with a lot more questions than you have answers. Just like if you took any any subject that you began to really study, and the more you began to learn and know, the more you would recognize, man, I don't know very much. It causes a considerable amount of tension. And even the idea of when you read the Old Testament, it looks like God's really concerned with, with behavior, and when it looks like God's really concerned with sin and what that does, and it does, there's ways to read it and really feel like maybe God's mad. You have to reconcile that with a God of grace and a God of love. And the, the theologian or the pastor or, or, or the person who, who's studying Scripture who would tell you that God shows His love in the New Testament but doesn't show His love in the Old Testament, they don't know the Old Testament. It's not true. In fact, even the places where God intervened in a way that looks punitive and difficult is actually motivated by His love and to preserve them from a downfall that's coming that would be worse if He had not intervened. But we've got to be able to kind of wrestle those things out. Go ahead and move to Matthew chapter 5. 
Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. It is a, a really the most robust collection of Jesus' teaching in a single setting. He's on a mountainside. He's teaching his disciples. There are the crowds and there are the multitudes. There's, there's kind of three consecutive circles of, of teaching that's going on there. And all of this is recorded in one sitting. And he begins with what we call the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who, blessed are those who. And he kind of gives kind of some promises. What he's doing, he's unpacking some principles of the way that the kingdom of God works. He moves from that to start talking about what it means to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, to actually live in a way where you are impacting the world around you and that God has designed you to do that. And then he moves into this place where he addresses the idea or addresses at least the tension point as to whether or not Jesus is like really following God or not, in a sense. All the religious leaders were scratching their head because he seemed to be kind of anti-establishment. And there was a question about whether or not uh, he saw God's word as authoritative. He certainly knew it, he could teach it, he could quote it. But there was some trepidation about whether or not he was looking to undermine it and discard it. And so in some of those circles, there was some contemplation there. The crowds in general were just looking to see kind of where is he going to teach us and lead us and what were we supposed to do with that. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, he says this. He says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. That phrase, law or the prophets, that would have been understood at that time to be the Old Testament. That's how we would refer to it now. It would be like if I started preaching and we were New Testament scripture heavy and I just wanted to make sure that everybody was on board. I said, hey, understand, we're going to spend a lot of time in this book, but that doesn't mean that the Old Testament is irrelevant and I'm not looking to get rid of it. And so he brings about kind of this assurance here. He says, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And this ties back to what Paul said to Timothy. Hey, you know the Old Testament so well that it gives you a better picture and understanding of Jesus as a result of that. So Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm here to, to fulfill those things. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law, from the Old Testament, from God's word, until everything is accomplished. This verse right here suggests to me the endurance of the Old Testament. But it certainly underscores the endurance of Scripture as a whole. That until Jesus returns, until heaven and earth disappears, the Word of God will endure. All of God's Word is needed. All of God's Word is beneficial. And listen to me, all of God's Word will endure. All of it. Regardless of whether there are scholarly academics who would look to redact the Word of God and whether there are praxis Christians who would look to discard pieces in their daily life. It did, regardless of how you and I approach the Word of God, how we would look to dismiss it, or how we would look to explain it away, or how we would look to marginalize it, or ignore it outright altogether, the Word of God is going to endure, with or without you and I. The Word of God, the promises of God, they are going to be faithfully completed, with or without you and I. The question is whether or not we're going to apply the Word of God to our lives in a way that draws us to the Lord and that we get to experience all of those things. But the Word of God is going to endure. I love that promise. 
There are a lot of people who feel like they have to go around saving God from man's ideas. I watch well-meaning Christians all the time get into what Paul would say is a vain and stupid argument, wasting their time and their breath, somehow protecting God from the culture around. You know what? God is going to endure. He doesn't need my help. I need his. And the most effective way for Pastor Ben to live his life is to align the decisions that I make and the way that I live with the plans and purposes that God has designed for me and to let him do what he does and to let him use others to do what they were designed to do. When you have a secure understanding of your identity and your assignment in the things of the kingdom of God, you can kind of discard all of those other things that are distractions and pressures around us, and you can just be about the main thing. God's word is going to endure. Second part of this passage moves from there and says this, Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus starts touching on there is the idea of when we choose to redact things from the word of God and try to talk others into that idea that we lose our place in God's kingdom. We, we diminish our effectiveness You need the whole of God's word to have a whole life. And to the part that we marginalize and dismiss and redact is to the degree that we begin to experience less than as a result of that. It's to our detriment. It's to your detriment. It's to my detriment to dismiss parts of God's word because they're uncomfortable or because I don't understand them or because I'd rather just eat dessert. We need the whole of God's word, all of it's beneficial, all of it's going to endure. And we need to apply it in the way that we live out our lives. When I dismiss God's word, I often end up resisting what God's trying to do in me. And as a result of that, I often miss out on walking out his design for my life. Because they go together. And I tell you, if you are somebody who desires to walk into the things of God, you need to be in his word. All of it. And you may scratch your head and say, I don't know what this piece does. That's fine. Just don't throw it out. In time, you'll get to that part, and he can apply it. In time, you'll get to that moment, and the Holy Spirit will quicken to your heart and your mind the need for that verse, an application for that passage. Hold on to those things. We need all of God's word applied to all of the areas of our life. We need the whole word to experience a whole life. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to close in just a moment. In just a minute, I'm going to ask you to consider a few questions to allow the Holy Spirit to kind of speak to you in regards to maybe where you are and what he might be wanting to lead you into in this next week. But before we do that, I just want to share a quick story with you. Um, I've got a recent friend 
Um, it was an NJC student who started uh, coming to church last year during their freshman year, and they just kind of started rolling with us, coming out of some stuff where they were really searching for the Lord to be at work in their life and found a home here and just began to come alive, uh, come alive in worship, began looking for ways to serve, started jumping into the equipping class process, just like wanting to grow, wanting, wanting to go and grow in a sense. And the tradition that they came out of was not a tradition that gave a high importance to God's word. Not that they didn't value it, but they didn't put it into the hands of the people. The leader was the one who kind of really knew God's word and then told everybody what they needed. In fact, in the way that they went about their, their service, it was hard to know what was uh, just advice or what was actually God's word. It wasn't really quoted or at least made apparent to this person. And last year, as they began to just kind of search and grow and worship and take steps forward, one of the things that they started doing really for the first time in their life was they began to read the Bible. Had grown up in a believing home, but they had never read the Bible. Parents never read the Bible. And that's continued through this summer. And while they have been away, frequently we're receiving texts. Me and a few other leaders who have come alongside them, been supporting them, encouraging them. And the texts are like so enthusiastic. And here's what they really boil down to. Oh my gosh, did you know that was in there? Did you know it says this? Did you, did you know that God did that? That reminds me of something that happened in my life and I couldn't explain it. That reminds me of, of a place where I was really in need and that need was met and I, I didn't know how to articulate. It's just the word of God's like coming alive in there. And instead of saying, yes, we knew that or I've heard that story, when it's like, man, did you know this was in there? The text that goes back to them is like, yeah, isn't God awesome? Man, isn't following Jesus wild? And the beautiful thing about that is as excited as they are for God's word and as immediately applicable and transformative as God's word is to them, that the leaders that have been a part of just trying to steward and encourage this to take place, man, we're getting pumped about God's word again. We're getting reminded that, whoa, that's in there. That it's, that it's wild and being challenged to go deeper, to go farther. Man, we need all of God's word applied to every area of our life. I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes for just a moment. I wanna ask you a series of questions. And the first one is this, like, what about you? Just personally, what, what about you and your relation to God's word? Are, are you keeping it comfortable? Do you kind of have that verse or that chapter or that one book or that one place and you just kind of keep hanging out there? And it's good, it's helpful, but it's not the whole. What about you? Are, are there places that you've started to kind of bump into that's kind of uncomfortable? It exposes your need or it touches on an issue in your life, it brushes up against a place of offense, a place where God would be trying to challenge you to grow in 
Christ-like character and you're just like, man, I'm looking for a way to dismiss this. Maybe there's passages, maybe there's places in God's word, you know it well enough to know how to not bump into those. And here's the other question, are, are you spending any time in God's word at all? If what you get of God's word is Sunday morning with Pastor Ben and the staff here, can I tell you, you will, you will not go very far. You could come to church every Sunday for 100 years and you would be missing so much. We need to let all of God's word impact all of our life. Lord, would you do that in us this morning? Would you just raise our awareness of that need? Lord, would you encourage us? Would you stir a hunger in our hearts for your word? Lord, we don't want to go to your word out of duty or out of uh, um, obligation. Lord, we don't, we don't want to go in a way where we're not looking to search scripture and to know you as a result. Lord, we want it to be something that gives life. Peter told Jesus, where else would we go? You have the very words of life. God, there's no other place that we could go in literature that are the very words of life. There are things that are encouraging, helpful, entertaining, but you have the words of life. And so Lord, would you stir something in us, a desire for that? Lord, for the things that are uncomfortable, would you encourage us to lean into you, to trust you with that tension? Lord, for the things that are hard for us to understand, like how does this, how does this matter? What does this piece do? Lord, would you teach us to hold it in faith, trusting that you will show us when and how to apply that to our lives. Lord, give us a hunger for your word, but more importantly, a hunger for you. And give us eyes to see and ears to hear who you are and how you relate to us as we would take steps towards that this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We got some action steps for you this week. And I want to encourage you to do this. I want you to read a book of the Bible or a passage of the Bible that you would normally not go to. Like, just find a spot where you're like, well, this, I've never been here before. And check that out. And then ask three questions as you do that this week. This is the first question. What does this passage reveal about God? Just spend some time thinking about that. Number two, what does this reveal about man? What does this show about people? And then the last question is, how can I apply this to my life this week? Oh, and your last homework, get your water wings, meet us at the pool.